Life Audio. Hey, I'm Rob Tigan. And I'm Joanna Tigan. Rob and I have been married over 30 years and share an addiction to coffee, bookstores, and Christmas music. We often debate how many dogs are enough and who should win the voice every season. We're a neat freak married to a not so neat freak, an explorer to a homebody, and an introvert to a people person. But we do agree that our vows are for always, children are a gift, and prayer is powerful. Our hope through this podcast is that we can walk with you in caring for the soul of your family. Thanks for being here. Thank you for joining us today on the Growing Home Together podcast. Well, Rob and I have four biological children, and then eight years ago, our family grew again through adoption, and we had no idea that God was placing one of his very best gifts into our hands in the courtroom that day. But we also had no idea at that time what our son's trauma would mean for him and our family, and in that, sometimes we often felt really lost and alone. But you know, in your own situations like that, what it's like when you find someone who really gets you, or they've walked down similar paths and they make you feel like they really see you. And that is what it is like reading Brittany Salman's book, It Takes More Than Love. Like her book says, adoption is joy and suffering, loss and gain, and hope and disappointment all in one. But I firmly believe that we can hold sorrow and joy in the same hand. Don't you just love that? We are so glad that we can explore these truths with Brittany here on the show today. Yes, and Brittany is a professor, writer, and Bible teacher, and an adoptive mom herself who is passionate about taking theology and applying it to everyday life. Thank you so much, Brittany, for your book and for spending time with us today and talking about adoption. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, so before we dig into our topic today, we'd love to hear more about your family and your personal story of adoption as well. Sure. So um, I'm married to my husband, Ben. We met um, during our seminary days in um, Wake Forest, North Carolina. Um, We met and fell in love and got married rather quickly. (laughs) Um, But during that time, um, during our, our dating season and when we got engaged, I remember starting to talk about our family and what we wanted out of our family. And it was during that time when I had to share with him that from an early age, I knew that having biological children was a, a probably a very slim chance for me. And if that was going to happen, I would have to pursue some significant medical assistance. And so we talked about it and I, I had told him that I, from an early age on, the Lord had given me a peace with this. I had made my peace with it and said, if the Lord wants me to have children, um, I, we will adopt, I will adopt children one day or I will foster children one day. But I made my peace with not having biological children. And I, I was not comfortable at the time with pursuing, you know, medical intervention, not because of um, anything other than the fact I just felt like the Lord had kind of called me to orphan care and prevention. Um, and so he was like, okay, it was a little bit of a shock, but he was completely on board. Um, and so we were married a few years and we were married a few years when we were surprised to find out that I was actually pregnant. Um, and not only was I pregnant, but I was pregnant with twins. And so <laughs> you can, Im- you can imagine my shock. Oh um, yeah. My shock of thinking a lifetime of thinking, uh, yeah, I can't have children biologically. And then to 
be pregnant <laughs> and pregnant with twins. Wow. Um, it, we were, we were floored and so grateful and excited. Um, but after our twins were born, um, we still felt this, I still felt this tug and my husband still felt this tug that we wanted to build our family through adoption. Um, and so that's what we pursued after, um, the girls were two, we started the adoption process and about a year and a half later, we welcomed our son Jude. Um, he's currently six years old. And then about four years later, we welcomed our son Zeke through adoption. Um, and he is currently two and a half years old. And so, um, we have two biological girls, Felicity and Noel. They turned 10 in August. And then we have Jude who was born, um, six years ago and he's six, about six and a half and then Zeke who's two and a half and and we're actually in the process of adoption again and we are um, home study ready and just waiting on salmon baby number five. Oh wow oh, congratulations that's really exciting thank you thank you yeah your kids thank are you. such fun ages too yes it's it's, it's definitely not quiet here <laughs> <laughs> right but it's a lot of fun it's right so much fun yeah, yeah, and I will say we're a family with five kids. Five kids is just a, it's a fun number. Yeah, it's been yes. great. Yeah. yeah, most days. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Rob and I, on our path to adoption, we went through the um, foster care system in our county. And every adoptive family that we know has a very unique story of how a child came into their home, whether from overseas or the foster care system or more of a traditional domestic adoption. I mean, if someone is interested in growing their family through adoption. Can you explain all of these different types and avenues available to them? Absolutely. So there's multiple types of adoption. Uh, You could range from kinship adoption to where a family member might need brought into your family, maybe a cousin or a niece or nephew. Um, You can do a, what we did, which was a domestic infant open adoption, which simply means that the children, domestic means that they're from the United States of America, the country that we're living in. Um, Infant means we adopted them when they were infants. And open basically means that we have a very open relationship with their first family. So we communicate with their first family. We don't use our agency to mediate conversation or to send pictures back and forth. We have each other's cell phone numbers. We visit. That is the type of relationship we currently have. Um, you can also, like your family, you could speak more to adopting through foster care. Um, as we know right now, the foster care system uh, has a lot of waiting children for homes. And that is when, um, like you guys did, you go through a government agency where a children's parents, their parental rights have been terminated and um, they need adopting and placed into a family. And then there's international adoption, um, which is when you adopt a child from another country. Um, and within those different sects of adoption, um, there's still different types. So, for example, you can have a same-race adoption, meaning that you're adopting a child who matches your ethnicity. You can have a cross-cultural adoption, which could be a transracial adoption, which means um, you're adopting a child of a, a different race, and so you have different skin colors. Or you can be a transcultural adoption, which is you're adopting a child of a different culture. Um, and so a transcultural adoption could be that it's transracial, meaning that you have the a different skin colors, or it could be a transcultural adoption could be you have the same skin colors. For example, that would be if a white American family adopt a white Romanian child. That's a transcultural adoption. It's not a transracial adoption. It's also an international adoption. Um, and so you have all these different varieties 
within adoption that kind of really impacts the way you parent your kid based on their story, how they come to your family, and then the different ethnicities and the cultures that you're bringing into your home. That's great. Thanks for clarifying that. That's helpful. Um, Can we hone in a little bit on the cross-cultural adoption piece? Uh, What makes that unique compared to other adoption scenarios? Absolutely. So a cross-cultural adoption, specifically if you have a transracial adoption and they have a different skin skin, um, color than your family. So for example, one of our sons is um, African-American. And so when we go out as a family, his adoption is obvious to everyone around us. He's one of our family members. He's with our family, but he doesn't match our family. And so oftentimes in cross-cultural adoptions, one of the unique factors is that their adoption is obvious to everyone else. People can speak about it. You know, you're in the grocery store. People might say, oh, did you foster that child? Or, oh, is he adopted? Um, There's something different about the adoption that stands out to other people. Along with that, um, not just the public aspect, but in a cross-cultural adoption, a child, when they're adopted into a different culture, um, they have lost immediate contact to their first culture. Um, there's a loss there, whether it's a different language, foods, if smells, if it's a, an international adoption, um, whether it's just a loss of cultural connections or racial identity, um, there is a loss there at the beginning that has to somehow, um, be, via the adoptive family, you have to acknowledge that and work towards writing that, if that makes sense. Um, and so there's just unique factors going on whenever you have a, a cross-cultural adoption, a, a cross-cultural adoption. Okay. Yeah, that's, um, that's good. I remember when our uh, son was about six, year, six years old, um, he started to make comments um, about his differences. And what surprised me, um, you know, he was comparing himself to his, his siblings and, um, yes. and it wasn't his skin color that bothered him as much or that he noticed as much, but he noticed he had dark brown eyes mm-hmm. and while his sisters had blue and green. And, um, and that was just one of the many experiences he's had um, as a child of color in a white family. So can you help us understand more of what kids go through who are of a different race or a different culture background from their adopted families? Sure. So I I never want to speak on an adoptee's behalf. And so I'm not going to, I'm not speaking from firsthand experience, but the research has shown that racial identity development is important in children. And so even from an education standpoint, let's take adoption out of this representation um, in children's books. There's a lot of studies that have shown that if a, there's a theory called windows in mirrors theory. And it's essentially that all children, regardless of their ethnicity, need to be able to see into like a window, into through a window, other cultures. So they need to see other cultures so they do not become ethnocentric, meaning that they think that their ethnicity is the best or it's the right and only way to live. At the same time, they also need mirrors, meaning they need to see their ethnicity represented in educational curriculum and literature and books in order to see and understand their standing in, in society and how they're represented. And so it's a really important concept of racial representation. Now, when you take that idea and you apply it to an adoptive family, um, a child needs to see themselves represented in their community and their family and in their home and their life. And so when, when you have a child 
who is the only person who looks like them in their family, there is this imbalance that happens while they try to figure out who they are in the world as a African-American man or as an African-American female or Haitian American or Asian American in a predominantly white family. Um, And there's all different, it it goes the other way around. And so even if it was a a white American child in an African-American family, there are, there are things that and issues that have to be addressed and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something that we have to acknowledge and address as adoptive families so that our children can build healthy racial identities. Yeah, uh, what you're saying really is so personal for us. I mean, over the last, I don't know, three or four years, we've had to really ask, what are we going to do with this reality for our son? And it's it's changed the decisions we made. We moved him out of our school district and into a school that had a better racial representation for him. It changed where we go to church. You know, our church community um, needs to be relatable for him. Um, He was saying things to us about in certain contexts he was living in when he was younger, like, why am I the only one like me? And we didn't really know what to do with that. And I love that you've created this resource to help couples like us parent in a racially conscious way, because we were starting from zero, you know. Can you give us some more just practical insights about that? Well, I think whenever we're parenting in a race-conscious way, um, what we're doing is we're saying, we're not saying, I, I think many of us were raised in a colorblind society, meaning that we were taught to say that we don't see color and that it doesn't matter. However, um, as as we've pressed in and learned and grown and listened to our brothers and sisters of different ethnicities, we've learned that um, that's not super helpful. Um, they they want us to see their ethnicity. They want it to, us to celebrate it and also acknowledge what it means in the current context. So race-conscious parenting simply means we are t- looking at God's good design and believing that every person is made in the image of God. And we're all, we are all loved by a good, loved and designed by a good and creative God. And so what we're doing is we're saying, hey, my son's ethnicity, I'm not ignoring that or t- treating that with a colorblind approach. I'm going to s- acknowledge it. I'm going to celebrate it, and we're going to make sure that he is able, he's able to build his own racial identity in light of being, um, you know, a, a son of God. And so, ultimately, we all know our identity is in Christ, and that is our primary identity, but we're helping him build a healthy racial identity here on earth. And so, some ways that we do that, and I recommend, and that for adoptive families, there's really three tiers of developing this um, in your family. The, the very first thing, which is, was it's kind of art, like your toes in the water, you're getting used to it a little bit, it was making sure that the toys, the books, um, the things, the artifacts in our home reflect all of the cultures in our home. Um, I tell the story of how when I we first brought our son home, I had books, I had toys, I had all these things. But at Christmas time, um, as I was getting my Christmas decorations out, I realized, well, my white nativity of Jesus and my white ornaments, and there was not a single thing on my Christmas in my Christmas decor that um, would be inclusive to another another culture, and so. As I set things up, I was like, you know what? I need to make sure I need to make sure that we have a, a historically accurate nativity set. I need to make sure that our Christmas ornaments aren't just white angels, but we also have some 
black and brown and Asian and uh, a variety of cultures represented on our Christmas tree. Um, and so we pressed into that. And the more that we pressed into that, the more we realized where we were lacking. And so, um, you know, come every holiday season, we'd look around and go, okay, what do we need to do? What do we need to fix? And, and we kind of grew. Um, but it was one of those things where we just saw we had a huge blind spot, a huge blind spot in the way we celebrated holidays. Um, the second thing was the, the, the voices that we, we allow into our home. So the pastors that we listen to, the, um, the podcasts, the, the lawyers that we would hire, the doctors that we would see, um, the people who are kind of in authority positions of our life, who we would pay for services, we quickly recognized many of them matched our ethnicity. And so we had to intentionally diversify that and say, no, we're going to listen to these uh, a wide variety of pastors. We're going to listen to a wide variety of professors and read a lot of different books and podcasts from all different ethnicities. Um, we're going to make sure that we're intentional with the pediatricians that we choose and the dentists that we choose and the optometrists. And so it took a little bit more work, but you know, Google is an awesome, <laughs> it's an awesome tool where you can quickly, um, you know, Google searches about anything and see pictures and um, do some research online and, and you can have access to resource resources there. Um, and after doing that, the, the last thing that we did was we want to make sure we had representation in our actual physical community. So um, let's talk about the church you attend, the schools you attend, the sport events. Um, you know, instead of doing some of these more private, private, privatized sports groups, we decided to go to our city teams and say, you know what? I wonder if we did city sports, I wonder if we could meet more people who actually reflect the demographic of our city. It was amazing. The friendships that we made with the parents there and the different people on our, our kids, um, parents in our kids' schools and the friends that we made because we intentionally chose schools and spaces and extracurriculars where all of our kids racial represented were, were all of our kids were racially represented. And so um, we just diversified our lifestyle through our babysitters and Soon after that, um, I, I realized that we were looking around the table at one of our kids' birthday party, and I almost slept because I was looking at multiple ethnicities represented who were a part of the daily lives of our children and thought, wow, what a blessing. What a blessing. But it didn't happen overnight. And so I want to say that to any of parents living out there, it was, you know, it, this was a three to five year process of slowly making decisions that to secure that if we're going to be a multicultural family, we're not going to live a monocultural life. Oh my goodness. I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And yeah, it resonates uh, very much. You know, I know um, there's, there's kind of light bulb moments I think um, that you have, you know, when you're going through that. Cause I know for me, I, you know, we, when I looked around, I realized, um, you know, our son is, is biracial, but the world's going to see him as, as black. And I realized we didn't have any, um, leaders around us, you know, godly leaders, um, that were African American. And I'm, I was just one day I was like, how is he gonna, gonna know what that looks like, you know? Um, and so, yeah, we had to make intentional choices. And so there's always these moments where you're, um, you just have to evaluate, um, where you're at. Yeah, and I kind of had a little aha moment a couple years ago. We had a new grocery store open up near our house, and we ran in there to grab a couple things, and I'm looking around, and there was not one single person of color shopping yeah. in the store, working in the store, nothing. And I thought, you know, 
I think we might need to move. <laughs> yeah. It came to that point. Actually, we are going to be moving um, in a couple of months into um, the city near us because, yeah, I, I hear you. It has to start showing up in our in our choices, and there might be um, some uncomfortable in that and some sacrifice in that, but um, praying to God that, you know, that that bears great fruit for our family. As Joanna said, I, I we wish we would have had your book before we stepped into the foster care and adoption uh, process because sometimes you do feel alone in it. So for, for those who are listening who may be considering uh, adopting a child, what advice would you have for them? My very first advice would be before you do anything would be to take some time to listen to all voices of the adoption triad, meaning you're listening to adoptive parents. Yes. But also adoptees, adult adoptees. There's a a number of adult adoptees sharing their stories. And that's part of the reason why I I wanted to make sure that in my book, it has essays from adoptees in there. Um, because I, I think it's so important that we're listening to these adult adoptees now reflecting back on their childhood. And it's a gift that they're willing to share some of the trauma and heartache. They don't have to, but they're doing that. And it's, it's not their responsibility to teach us, but it is our responsibility to learn. And so when someone is sharing those stories, um, I, I think we need to press in and listen. Uh, another thing would be to listen to, to first families and birth mom experiences as well. Um, I, I think learn as much as you can before you jump in. And so by reading books, by listening to podcasts like these, by asking other adoptive families, just do as much as you can to learn before you jump all in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, um, we were pretty naive when our adopted child was placed with us. Um, he was just an infant, and we assumed since we were the only home he'd ever remember that he wouldn't experience a high level of trauma from being separated from his birth parents, and that was completely false. Um, And as we've connected with other adoptive families, we've learned more and more just about the realities of trauma that children suffer and um, the challenging behaviors that can come with that. So what advice would you give parents who are realizing that like your title says, it takes more than love to raise their adopted child. I think the first thing I would say is, you know, first off, I, I think all of us jump into things and we we don't know what we don't know what to expect. We might think we do, might do. I, I had done so much research on adoption. I thought I was set up <laughs> for success, and that I knew it all. And um, uh, I, we could we could fill a whole podcast series with the mistakes that my husband and I have made along the way. <laughs> Amen. And to so that. <laughs> I just want to say for anyone out there, maybe feeling shame or um, maybe disappointment or shame that shame is a liar, but conviction can be a catalyst for change. And so, you know, one of the quotes for the book that that was a real motivator for me was Maya Angelou's, you do the best that you can until you know better. And then once you know better, do better. And I would say, welcome, as your eyes are opening up, don't focus so much on, don't let shame keep you down, but rather let conviction serve as a catalyst to, to make the changes now. It's never too late to change. And so if you are sitting there going, well, you know, I have a child who's experienced trauma. And if you have an adopted child, then yes, that, that would be you. Um, Cause all of our children who've come to our homes via adoption have experienced trauma. My first recommendation would be find an adoption informed trauma specialist. 
a counselor. Um, for for us, we're Christians, and so we will, we we love our um, our counselors who have a Christian perspective, but who are also adoption informed. And so I, I would say that that needs to be a very specific requirement um, for a counselor. People in specifically rural counties will ask me, okay, hey, we don't have the surplus of counselors that maybe Chicago or Raleigh or Nashville might have. How do I do this? And I would say, go online and you can find somebody. Um, there are so many counselors who have who've made their services online since COVID who are willing to do video counseling sessions and can partner with you to help you find some behavioral therapists and people in your area. But don't do it alone. Don't sit there and think, if I just love this child enough and if I pray enough, if I, if I do all of these things, it'll go away. No, God has given us tools and gifts in the body of Christ to use to help walk along these hard parts in our stories. And so I would say reach out for help and make sure that they are trauma and adoption informed counselors. And then also as a preference, make sure that they are biblical as well. That's good. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a, 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 a little different step here with my next uh, thoughts and questions for you. Um, at Growing Home Together, we we talk about caring for the soul of your family, and that's caring for all different aspects. And um, so I would just want to ask you a little bit about the marriage piece of it, because um, as we know, anytime you add stress um, and challenges to a family, um, it affects the couple's relationship. And so um, can you talk about um, how a husband and wife can partner together um, in the adoption parenting and with all the unique emotional and physical needs that you're trying to uh, meet for your adoptive kids and, and keeping that marriage um, strong or at least partnering together through that. Can you, can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, well, I, I, I love this question. <laughs> I really do because um, you often hear, I will hear from, from people who are like, hey, I would love to adopt, but my spouse just isn't on board. And I, my immediate response is don't adopt them. Please do whatever you do. Do not pursue this until both of you are 110% on board together. And, and my encouragement typically to often their, their wives to say, you spend six months praying about this and asking the Lord to soften your husband's heart towards this. And if it's still a no, I say, don't run after this because there are so many hardships. And there's so many things that you cannot foresee that if one person is not fully on board, um, it kind of gives room for a, a divisive spirit to come into the marriage and, it, and the, to the entire family. And so for families who are already, who've already adopted, who are already adoptive families, um, the thing that my husband and I do is when I am learning something, I, I'm the researcher, I'm the reader. My husband likes to read, but not nearly as much as I do. And so, um, I, I read a ton of stuff, but I, early on in adoption, I would keep it to myself and just kind of like share bits and pieces with him. And he'd be like, okay, that's great. That's great. As we progressed, we learned, no, we need to be learning together. And what that doesn't mean is that he has to read every article that I read or every book that I read, but our learning journey needs to be connected. And so that I'm not going, well, don't you know this? Why don't you know this? And he's like, well, I didn't read the book or I didn't read this. I didn't do this training. And so um, making sure that from the get-go of the adoption process, that this is something that both of you are doing together when it comes to paperwork, when it comes to the training, when it comes to the books. And again, I, I think typically there are people with 
to some people who like to read more than others or listen to podcasts more than others. But the point is not that it's all the equal um, quantity of content, but that you are that you are equally pursuing this and training and learning together um, so that it's not one person being left behind or feeling left out. That's good. I, um, yeah, I think, I think that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that, especially too. you know, I think we've, we've talked to other, you know, couples as well. And, and that's always a tension when one really feels um, called to adoption and the other one is coming along slower um, and, um, you know, you're, you're thinking in your mind, well, you know, God says care for the widows and orphans. This is a good thing. This has to be God's will. And, um, and it may be God's will, but it may not be God's timing. And sometimes, you know, as we've talked through it and even seen, um, you know, spouses come around, um, after what seems to the other spouse like a super long time, um, God's timing in that is, is important too. And sometimes if God doesn't unify us in that, it might be that it's just not his time. And, and so to just keep praying and, and keep trusting and, and we've had it too. We, we, uh, we're going to do another adoption, um, as well, or we're looking into it and God just kind of kept closing the door. Um, and, and we were kind of, you know, mystified for a while, but, um, but God has his, his purposes in it. So I really appreciate that wisdom. Yeah, you know, if I if I had my wish, I would have um, so many people on our podcast just for the chance to say thank you to them, the people who were our community and our support system and our foster and adoptive mm-hmm. journey. I mean, we had, um, like you were describing, just a tremendous therapist for our son. We had a social worker at his school who sincerely loved our son and he knew it um specific teachers that he's had um just the list goes on and on and for rob and i a really key piece for us was our church small group they were like Mm -hmm. family our son called them aunt and uncle um and just the high level of prayer that they gave us and when sometimes things were going very very wrong they just wrapped around us and it it made such a difference. I can't even imagine what it would have been like without them. Um, and I think for every adoptive family, it is so important that they find community to walk with in it. And um, kind of what you and Rob were alluding to, not everyone listening is in a position right now to adopt, uh, but that heart is in them. So what would suggestion would you give for how they can support the adoptive families in their lives? You know, I think one of the things that meant the world to me um, whenever we were doing our second adoption with our fourth child was the people who would come up and say, hey, Brittany, I have no clue what you're going through, but I would love to help in, in whatever ways I can. What would be helpful? You know, every, every adoption is so unique and every family has a unique culture as well. And so I've had some friends who are like, oh, yes, please, meal train. That is so helpful. For us, that that wasn't actually a helpful thing for us. People were saying, how can we do a meal train? I'm like, actually, it, it would probably be best if not. My husband is in the food industry. So we have food is not a, <laughs> food is not a specific need. And so he could easily bring food home. And, um, and so I was like, food is not a need that we had. But it was the people who said, hey, I, I recognize this is unique. What can we do to help? And so I, I think if anyone's out there going, we can't, we, we can't step into adoption. We're not going to step into the foster care system right now. But what we want to do is we want to help in whatever ways we can. I would say the first thing is to, yes, support the adoptive families that you're connected to. 
But another thing would be to prayerfully consider and ask God to give you a holy imagination for what can I do? What, what unique giftings do I have and resources do I have at my disposal? Not just to bless adoptive families, but I wonder what if, you know, let's say a, a couple in their, their early sixties was like, I'm not going to adopt a child or foster a child right now, but you know what I could do? I could mentor a couple who just had their parental rights terminated. And I wonder if our, if our foster, our, our foster care program in our city has parents who currently need mentor, who are working towards reconciliation, who are working towards gaining those parental rights back so they can be good parents for their kids. What, what if I could do that? What could, what if I could, um, you know, support a single mom in our community? How can I be a part of this without adopting a child? There are many needs. I mean, the needs are many and adoption does not answer all of them. And so I, one of the things I've been encouraging people who talk to me about this is say, I can't tell you what to do. But what I do know is we serve a God who has a holy imagination and who is, has a heart bent towards redemption. And I believe that if you want to be a part of this, the Lord can use your unique giftings to serve a specific group of people in your community. And it might not look like adoption or fostering, but it's still incredibly impactful. In, in fact, I would argue even maybe more impactful if we're talking about keeping families together, you know, there, there's all sorts of different things that we can do and each of us have our different gifts. But I would say don't get so narrow sighted just on adoption and adoptive families that we miss that there's a whole bigger picture going on that we can all take part in. That's that's good. That's uh, that's powerful. I think between what you're saying and what Joanna's saying, it's so true that um as we look at the people in our lives, um, they were caring for the wif- widows and orphans as much as we were. Um, it, because there were there are so many times where you do feel like, I don't know if I can do this. I can, and I don't know what we would have done without the community around us. And so that you're right, there are so many different pieces and places that we can all fit into with our unique um, gifts and our our unique life stories. So, um, Brittany, you've you've stretched our thinking and understanding about cross cultural adoption today, and you've really um, offered a lot of insight and wisdom. And your book does too. So, if, if you could leave our friends with with one thought or piece of advice um, before we go, what what would it be? You know, if I could leave one final word of advice for adoptive families, it would be run to Jesus. And that sounds very cliche. Um, but, but I don't mean it in that way, but when it's, when it's hard, when it's heavy, when we're facing things that we never thought we would face in life, sometimes our, our temptation, or at least my temptation is to isolate. It's to, um, kind of shut it all out and just get through it and do it on my own. And if I could leave one word of advice, it would be run to run to Jesus and embrace the community that he's given you and stay close because our God is a God of redemption and restoration. He is a God who doesn't offer, you know, rainbows and butterflies and lives that are perfect, but instead he's with us in the storms. He is with us in the valleys and he will guide away and give you peace and joy and comfort amidst seasons of heartache and loss and trauma. And so it would say, run to him, stay near to him, draw close to him and through it all, he will not let you go. Mm, That is so good. Thank you. 
Um, now, I'm sure that some of our listeners today are kind of struggling with some questions or with the needs of their adoptive children, or they're wrestling through the decision of whether to adopt a child in their home or trying to figure out how to serve in some of the ways that you're describing. Um, would you be willing to pray for them that God will just give them what they need? Yeah, I'd love that. I'd love that. Father God, you are so good. Um, God, you are good in seasons of plenty, and you are good in seasons of loss, and you are good in seasons of um, reunification and seasons of separation. God, I pray for these families listening right now. God, I pray for the ones who are considering adoption. God, I pray that you give them supernatural wisdom and in, in in, in make it clear what, what paths they should take which agencies they should partner with, um, what organizations they should reach out to. God, I pray for wisdom. I pray for clarity. I pray for unity in their marriages and protection in their home, God. Um, God, I pray for adoptive families who are currently in the thick of it. God, I pray for peace. God, I pray for peace in the storm. God, I pray for a, a unconditional love for their children when it's hard. God, I pray um, for unity in, the, in their marriages, God. God, I pray for uh, miraculous resources and that you would give them the courage to ask for help, the courage to seek out good and godly counsel, the courage to say, hey, I need to make some changes. Um, God, be with them. Give them the courage to make those changes for the good of their children and for the glory of God. And God, I pray for maybe some listeners out there who say, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to adopt right now, but I want to be a part of the solution to many of the problems. Um, that lead to family separation. God, I pray for holy imagination. God, I pray that you would grant these, these people wisdom and how to support adoptive families in their communities, but also how to support the single moms, how to support the birth moms, how to support the parents who've had their parental rights separated, but who are working so hard to be re reunified with their children. God, I pray for holy imagination and for doors to be opened and for um, resources and wisdom and, um, again, the courage, the courage to say, yes, God, I will go. Yes, God, I will go. Um, Lord, we love you and we praise you for being a God who redeems um, and that there is nothing too far gone, too broken from your healing hand, God. Um, and so we, we thank you for that. We believe in that, God, and, um, and we just love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, Brittany. Um, if listeners want to learn more about you and your your great book, It Takes More Than Love, where can they connect with you online? Um, I have a website. It's BrittanyNSalmon.com. And then also you can connect with me on Instagram um, at BrittanyNSalmon. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, thank you for that. And we are really grateful for this time with you today. I hope that we can do this again. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So grateful. It was a joy. Yes, thank you, Brittany. And uh, thank you, friends, for joining us on the Growing Home Together pod podcast. Uh, we'd love to connect with you over on our website as well at growinghometogether.com, where you'll find all kinds of resources to learn more about adoption, to pray for your kids, and to grow a stronger marriage. At Growing Home Together, we're caring for the soul of your family. And we're growing home together with you. Bye. Bye. Bye.